On today's show, the Hawks dropped to 25 and 25 this season on a night where they could not get enough stops to get over the finish line. And spoiler alert, the three-point line was not friendly to Atlanta in this matchup. We'll have a full breakdown of the game, as always, and more coming up. You are Locked On Hawks, your daily Atlanta Hawks podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team, every day. Hello, friends. Welcome to episode 1400. Yes, that is episode 1400 of the Lost on Hawks podcast. I am your host, Brad Roland, coming to you on a Saturday evening into Sunday. And today's show is brought to you by Prize Picks. First time you just got 100% instant deposit match with Prize Picks up to $100 with your promo code locked on. That is prizepicks.com, promo code locked on. And I also want to encourage you, as I always do at the top of the podcast, to make us your first listen at Lots on Hawks each and every day. Check us out anywhere you get your podcasts. That includes Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, and many more places. And today's show, we'll be getting into what became a loss for the Hawks at home, 120 to 113 on this Saturday against the Los Angeles Clippers. L.A. have been playing well recently. They are still playing well, and we'll get into all of what transpired, but I'm going to throw you a curveball on, on this podcast, maybe moving forward as well, and we're going to start with some top-line takeaways from this game before we dive into kind of how it all transpired, and then we'll get into, at the end of the, at the, end of this podcast, some of the player-by-player breakdowns. So this is the final game for the Hawks before the deadline arrives. The trade deadline, of course, is not for a little while. It's actually almost two weeks away. It's 12 days as I record this, 11 days. You're probably listening to it on Sunday. It is Thursday, February 19th, but the Hawks now go on the road for five games in a row after this. And uh, unfortunately, the Hawks had uh, sort of this one-game home respite, and they were not able to take advantage of it. Their third loss in the last four games, they're now down to 500 for the season at 25 and 25. I think it would be fair to say that no one in the Hawks organization uh, thought this was going to happen after you kind of push a lot of chips in offseason. Wise, I talked about this extensively, by the way. If you missed anything on the most recent podcast, I talked to Tower Jones, my friend, um, on this on this show in two-part fashion on Thursday into Friday. And we talked about a lot of different topics, but one of those is just the reality the Hawks did push a lot of chips in, and uh, they're not necessarily improved this year, at least so far for 50 games. That was kind of the case in this game as well. As far as what transpired, though, in this one, Really, the big thing, if you want to go down to it, was that the Hawks were not quite good enough defensively in this matchup. At the same time, you have to sort of doff your cap to the Clippers because the Hawks had a 123 defensive rating in this game and about a 135 defensive rating in the last three quarters. If you're new to this, advanced numbers, uh, all that stuff, uh, that's really bad. The league average is like something like 112, 113 so far this season. So 135 in the last three quarters is really bad defensively. The Hawks did a good job in a couple areas. They created turnovers at a high level. They had 14 giveaways, sorry, takeaways with 23 points off of those, and they only allowed 19 free throw attempts. But the Clippers just shot the ball incredibly well in this game. LA shot 51% from the floor. Um, sorry, I didn't want to push out all attempts in this game outside of the rim. So basically, the, so the way that cleaning the glass, which is a partner of this podcast, really enjoy cleaning the glass. Shouts to them. Um, they basically break it down to rim attempts, mid-range attempts, three-point attempts. And if you combine it all, the Clippers were 51% on all shots outside of three feet. That is an excellent number. Um, part of that was that Kawhi Leonard is still really, really good. Paul George, also very good, but Kawhi was basically Kawhi again in this game. And one of the things I said on the last podcast about with my my friend Tyler was that the Clippers were coming in, and if they played their guys, they are really, really good. And it's kind of easy to forget this now, but Clippers uh, were supposed to be one of the title favorites coming into the season if Kawhi was right. 
and he's not been playing back-to-backs. He hasn't been playing a lot of minutes or a lot of games. But when he plays, the Clippers are good, and that was definitely the case here. This is obviously a Hawks podcast. I'm not going to go too deep, too deep into this now. But Kawhi had 32 points on 21 shots. He was flying around defensively. He's a physical force, and the Clippers have this whole construction about basically being you know really big and versatile uh, around their two big, talented, you know, future Hall of Fame wings in PG and Kawhi, and it was very effective in this game. They made a lot of tough jump shots. Um, Kawhi was using his strength to get advantages, and PG didn't shoot it as well as Kawhi did, but the Hawks could not match that because DeJounte Murray didn't have a great game in this one. And then just beyond DeAndre Hunter, defensively, the Hawks don't really have any other answers. I know Hawks fans wanted to see more of Edgy Griffin. We'll get back to that later on in this podcast. But defensively, this is basically a really bad matchup for AJ in a lot of ways. There's nowhere to really hide him against the Clippers. And I know we're all excited about AJ, as I talked about a lot with Tyler at the end of last week. But defensively, this is a bad matchup for him. And the Hawks just don't have enough firepower defensively in this game. Um, Beyond that, though, like the, the possession battle where the Hawks kind of had to win this game, they did a good job in this one. They just it wasn't quite enough, basically, because three point shooting was the big X factor. Because, uh, by the way, regular listeners will know that I love this stat, but the Hawks took 15 more shots from the floor than the Clippers did in this game. Now, that is a wildly big gap for an NBA game. And the Hawks, especially when, through, when you view through that lens, the Hawks would probably be favored to win this game a large percentage of the time. But because of the shooting disparity, it wasn't quite enough. So basically what that means, though, that the Hawks did a great job, everything except for shooting in this game. So I mentioned all the Clippers jump shooting earlier, but the three-point line in particular was the biggest difference. L.A. was 19 of 39 from three in this game. The Hawks were 7 of 27. So I don't love that attempt number from the Hawks. I've been banging the drums since before the season even started. The Hawks need to have more shooting and also take advantage of it. I have railed on the approach from Nate McMillan that is, in my mind, too mid-range friendly. Um, that also applies to the players executing the system. I think DeJounte in particular sells for too many mid-rangers. Hunter, same thing. But no matter what, the Hawks took 12 fewer threes than the Clippers did and also made 12 fewer threes. So they took less, they made less, all of that. And the only guy on the Hawks roster that made more than one three in this game was Hunter, and he was two of eight. So that's bad efficiency in itself. Now, part of this as the Clippers, as I said before, just shooting the heck out of the ball. They were 49% from three in this game. And no matter what the defense is, that's obviously a little bit unlucky. But the Hawks were outscored by a three-point line by 36 points. They made 12 more threes than the Hawks did. Trey Young offered that up after the game as a reason why the Hawks lost. And it's pretty obvious, but it's also true. One team took more threes and made a lot more threes than the other one. And that could be a huge, a huge difference because the Hawks did pretty well everywhere else. It just wasn't quite enough. Um, offensively. The Hawks did a pretty decent job, I thought, papering over the perimeter shooting by not turning the ball over. In fact, like process-wise, I did not love the shot profile. That is part of this calculation as well. But I thought the Hawks did a good job in certain areas. Now, one of those was not getting, uh, not emphasizing Collins enough. I will say I, I didn't like that part of things. Collins had a really good start to the game. I think he had nine of the first 17 points for the Hawks in this one. And, they, and of course, in typical fashion, they stopped getting the ball along the way. But the Hawks only had one turnover in the entire second half. That is a really, really good way to kind of avoid some of the disasters. Now, the Hawks have kind of built their team that way. That's been a staple for the last two or three years for this Hawks team. So even, even amid all the shot quality, shot process issues that I don't always love, the Hawks do a good job not turning the ball over. And in recent games, actually, the Hawks have been pretty bad at ball security. That Oklahoma City game, that was probably their biggest weakness. But in this game, 
one turnover in the entire second half, and that was why the Hawks were able to kind of stay in the game despite the shooting disparity. I have plenty of issues with the lack of imagination on offense, but it's much easier to win the games if you're winning the possession battle, taking more shots than your opponents, and the Hawks were able to do that for the most part in this one, even though they were not able to win the game. So overall, it was not a terrible loss for Atlanta. Obviously, they didn't play incredibly well, but they didn't play incredibly poorly either. And look, it's basically a game that's a coin flip in the betting market. Our friends at FanDuel, our sponsors at the Lawson Podcast Network, had this game as essentially a coin flip. The Hawks were favored by about a point or a point and a half, depending on what time you looked today. So obviously, you know, quote unquote, supposed to win more than you lose. But Clippers in this in their form that they were in on this evening with Kawhi cooking and PG available. And yeah, they were a little bit more banged up than the Hawks were. But, you know, not a terrible loss by any means. The Hawks were in the game the entire way. It is frustrating to me. It has been for a long time that the Hawks don't take enough threes and their approach on offense is not modern in the way they probably should be. But they ran into a good, a good team that also shot the heck out of the ball in this game. And all of that can be true at the same time. I know people don't always want that nuance. They want that kind of one hot take. But really, it's that the Clippers took more threes, made more threes. That was the single biggest reason why the Hawks lost this game. But also, Kawhi Leonard's really good, and the Clippers uh, were just better on this night. So we'll get into all of what transpired in this game, sort of the game flow, how things went, as well as my player evaluations later on in the show. But first, a word from our sponsors on the podcast today. Today's show is brought to you by Prize Picks. If you're looking for a DFS option this year, make sure you check out the award-winning app at Prize Picks. Prize Picks is daily fantasy made easy. I love it, and I know that you will too. It is very easy to use. I've been playing Prize Picks for a while now. It's really a breeze, and it's a lot of fun to play. All you have to do is pick two or six players, but they'll actually have more or less than a certain number of points or rebounds or assists or other stats that are involved in the NBA world. And at Prize Picks, when it's 25 times on your entry, it's just that easy. They offer numbers on any sport that you might enjoy. Beyond the NBA, of course, they have college basketball and the NFL, college football, MLB, NHL, PGA, soccer, esports, and more. And a whole entry can be done in just a minute or less. It's really that easy and quick. Plus, it's just you against the projected numbers. They also have safe and fast withdrawals at Prize Picks. And they're operating in more than 30 states plus Canada. That includes Georgia at this point as well. Download the Prize Picks app. Go to PricePix.com and play daily fantasy sports right now. And first-time users can have 100% instant deposit match up to $100 with the promo code Locked On. Don't forget to enter that promo code Locked On and sign up for the instant deposit match up to $100. Check it out now at PricePix. All right, we'll dive into the game flow and how it all transpired in this one now after sort of the big picture takeaways are out of the way here. And the Clippers did come in hot. They won four games in a row. The Hawks were at full strength. That's encouraging to see, despite the loss. Uh, DeAndre Hunter, who had missed two games in a row with asthma symptoms, came back and played in this one. They had to have Hunter back in this game, even though uh, it wasn't great defensively. It would have been even worse without DeAndre in this particular matchup, trying to deal with Kawhi and PG. Of, of note also, um, they sent the Hawks did Vic Krejci and Trent Forrest and Tyrese Martin all to College Park to play in a game on Friday at home. That's just good process. It would have been bad not to do that because the Hawks had a home game on an off day um, with their G League team. So that's that's part of the reason why you have your G League team close by. Um, they brought Krejci and Forrest back for the game tonight. And Tyrese Martin is still in the G League. So keep that in mind. Um, no Marcus Morris or John Wall, Robert Covington for the Clippers in this game. So they were down three of their top you know, 10 or 11 guys. And again, FanDuel had the Hawks favored by a point and a half. But kind of sluggish early on in this game, despite the high scoring nature and really offense first nature of this game overall. That was not the case in the first quarter. The Hawks opened the game 104 with a turnover. Clippers were two of seven with, um, with some ugliness as well. Playing really slow in the early going. The Clippers are a very slow paced team, which probably like that a lot. And, um, and what was the preview of things to come? The Clippers made their first five shots from outside 14 feet. 
and that were really hot from a jump shooting perspective in this game. There was a great sequence in the middle of the quarter, I thought, when the Hawks had three or four rotations in a row that were awesome defensively. That, that, led, to a, that led to a steal, I should say. And then Hunter pushed the ball, kicked it out to Trey Young, who had, who had a nice a nice pass. Hunter is not a great passer. That was a good, good playmaking play move from him. And then Trey swung it to Collins for an open catch-and-shoot three that he made. It was one of those like, great basketball moments that the Hawks had in this early portion of the game. Collins had a nice start, had nine points early on. Um, rotationally, um, not a whole lot of surprises, but also some noteworthy observations here. In the first half, the Hawks had Bo- had Trey take his mid-quarter break, both actually both halves. Uh, then it was Bogey coming in for him. Then it was Murray uh, coming back in for Trey with the Kong Wu. Aaron Holiday played late in the quarter for a few minutes. That was timed on purpose, it seemed like, for when Reggie Jackson came in for the Clippers. Jackson is kind of the only point guard-sized player that was available for LA in this game. And they brought in Jalen Johnson as the ninth guy. He actually guarded Kawhi for a few minutes when Hunter was on the bench. And then A.J. Griffin came in at the start of the second quarter. That's been the usual spot for Griffin when everyone is available for the Hawks. Um, Hawks fans don't like that. I understand that. But at least that's kind of part of the plan. And then the second half, it was mostly the same, except the Hawks just skipped two guys. They skipped Jalen Johnson and they skipped Aaron Holiday. They brought A.J. in a little bit earlier. And I, I still saw complaints about A.J. not playing enough, and I totally get that. But I think in this game, it's more justifiable. He wasn't like scorching hot offensively. He only took three shots. He was okay. And then defensively, he was fine for what he is. But defensively in this in this matchup, he's not a fantastic defender against guys like PG and Kawhi and just a the, the attack that the Clippers were operating. So no, no huge issues there for me. Elsewhere, um, the Hawks basically held the uh, Clippers in check in the first quarter. It was 20-22, and L.A. only had 22 points on the first 25 possessions of the game. That's 88 offensive rating. So, And the Clippers only got to the rim twice in the entire first quarter, and the Hawks did a good job defensively. Now, part of that was they they hadn't heated up yet for the Clippers, which happened later on. But the Hawks did have a nice process quarter, I thought, early on. And then they had a 9-0 run early in the second quarter to go by 11 points. Murray had the last five points of that run. That was probably his best stretch of of the entire game. Clippers, though, were able to hang around, as I talked about before, with three-point shooting. L.A. was 9 of 17 from three in the first quarter and a half, and that was a bigger volume than they had later in the game, but they were able to make threes really the entire way in this one. It's a small thing. I didn't love that Capella didn't come in the game after the mid-quarter timeout. He sat for like 10-plus minutes in the first quarter, which uh, sorry, in the first half, which I didn't like that much at all. You know, him and the Kongwu um, weren't like huge gaps there, but I think Clint was better, and I think that they, they didn't really operate – Perfectly in that, in that spot with Zubac. Zubac was already on the floor for Clippers. And that basically means that Capello should have been back out there in my mind. Then the big run of the entire game really was a 17 to 3 push by the Clippers to go from down 11 was LA to up late in the first half. The Hawks only scored three points in about five minutes. That was their worst offensive stretch of the entire game. There was a pretty unfortunate and bad shot clock violation call against the Hawks, I thought. When the replay showed in my mind that the ball hit off the rim, that was a bad possession though anyway, so not, not a huge impact, but still a, a negative on the officiating side for the Hawks. Uh, Trey actually went crazy wanting Nate to challenge an offensive foul call in the second quarter. That's a play that he used to do a lot actually when he would uh, kind of lean back into a into contact and get to the foul line. I'm not sure if that should have been ruled a foul, but you know, I, I know one thing. That was not one that I would have challenged. There was one later on in the game that I thought Nate probably should have challenged. But you can't challenge that leverage play in the first half, alas. Um, not a good quarter overall, obviously. They gave away the lead that was up to, up to 11 points in the second quarter. They lost the quarter by 11 points. Jonathan got a technical foul going into halftime as well. So they really lost the quarter by 12. That's not, that was not great in a game that was close the entire way through. Clippers did shoot the ball well, and that was the only time in the entire game the Hawks turned the ball over. 
not a coincidence. Again, I praised them early on in the show for not turning the ball over really at all in this game. But they had six turnovers in the second quarter, and that is not a coincidence that the Hawks had their worst quarter when they turned the ball over. The Hawks cannot afford to turn the ball over, and they didn't in this game for the most part, but they did in that period. And then I thought Kawhi and PG were really awesome in that second period. At the halftime break, you know, it wasn't like they were in a huge hole either, especially with the Clippers shooting well from three. But officiating-wise, it was pretty tough for Atlanta. I thought they uh, had some unfortunate breaks by the whistles in that first half. But offensively, it just wasn't good enough. Um, they were good enough to glass in the first in the first half, but they really cooled off from a shooter perspective. Collins had 11 points. But I'm not sure he even touched the ball for the, for the final, like, I don't know, more than maybe once or twice after the final, I don't know, last 10 minutes or so of the quarter uh, of the first half. It was rough. They stopped emphasizing him in a way that was maddening to see after he had a lot of success early on in the game. After halftime, though, the Hawks basically, I don't know, they, they kind of held serve in the third quarter despite some negativity. So the big thing was they had no turnovers in the quarter, which I talked about earlier, but it really should be emphasized. Zero turnovers in the entire quarter, and they were able to sort of override 41% shooting and two of eight from three. If all I tell you is that they shot the ball like that, they're probably going to lose most quarters, but with zero turnovers and good offensive rebounding, they were able to overcome that. They missed five straight shots at the beginning of the third quarter to kind of get down by nine or 10. Um, Nate actually went pretty crazy by his standards after a three-point play was not given to Collins on a pretty clear foul. He was jumping up and down, kind of gesturing wildly. I was surprised he didn't get a tee in that spot, but some good emotion there at least from the bench. Um, I talked about the rotation being tweaked before, but they brought AJ in faster than they usually do. And notably, they had bogey on Kawhi for a little bit in the third quarter, and it kind of worked. Not, not at a high level, but it was kind of similar to what they did against Oklahoma City. If you missed that podcast, they had, or the game itself, they had Bogey defend Shea a little bit. And it doesn't seem like it would work on paper because Bogey's a pretty bad defender at times, but it was effective in there. And, you know, Kawhi is a pretty favorable matchup for Bogey in that he's not a speed guy at all, which is Bogey's biggest weakness. So he's big and physical. Anyway, the Hawks kind of chipped away, ended up winning the third quarter despite some bad shooting, had a three in the air to tie it. It didn't go in, but they were definitely a little bit more spry late in the third quarter. But then the Clippers opened things up in the fourth quarter and put the Hawks in a hole. So it was a nine to one run by LA early in the fourth quarter. Uh, they scored nine points on four possessions. So it was kind of a barrage in a hurry that put the Hawks down by 11 for the first time in the entire game with about 10 minutes to go. And uh, things were wavering for sure. I thought it was a good decision by the staff to go back to Trey at that point. Usually they don't bring Trey back in with 10 minutes to go. In the fourth, it's usually like seven or eight minutes left. But in that spot, they kind of had to. It was a timeout, and it was like, all right, it's, it's now or never, basically. And fortunately, the Hawks had a nice little stretch after that. The only thing that kind of didn't go well there was a Kongwu did not enjoy a foul call that he was given against Paul George on dunk attempt. He hated that call. I thought that uh, he probably was right, honestly, on that play. Uh, but it was one of those kind of weird w- weird moments. Um Trey helped to stabilize things that when he came back in, the Hawks made some shots. Bogey made a corner, uh, made a corner three. It seemed like it actually was overruled to become a two later on after the after the official review play. But still, the Hawks were back within six or seven, and that was a, a very important stretch to keep sort of engaged. Unfortunately, it didn't continue after the stoppage because Clippers scored on seven points on their next three possessions. That was unfortunate, and the Hawks kind of honestly. Couple plays in the fourth quarter where it felt like the Hawks were probably dead, and then they weren't dead. One of them was about five and a half minutes ago. They had these two scrambles for the ball, and then the Clippers missed a three out of that, which is the first dodge bullet. And then it was unfortunately the ball caromed right to Zubash for a dunk. So I put the Hawks down by, down by 14 points. It was like, all right, that might have been it, but it wasn't. They got back. To, they got back into the game. Dejounte scored back to back buckets, back within 10. Then. 
Kawhi, out of a timeout with the Hawks down by 10, hit a pretty impossible jump shot plus the foul. And suddenly the Hawks are down by 13 again, and it felt like it could have been a dagger. But one more time, the Hawks were resilient. A 9-0 run by Atlanta in the midst of the Clippers kind of imploding. Honestly, they had three turnovers and a missed layup over four possessions. So thanks to that, the Clippers, if you're a Hawks fan. The Hawks, though, had their one and only turnover of the entire game in that stretch, and still it didn't bite them because Trey hit a three. Sorry, Trey found Hunter for a three, and that brought the lead down to four with 209 to go. So after all that, they were right in the game. Two possession game, two minutes to go. Um, Kawhi, though, did did a Kawhi thing after that stoppage, got to the line, made both. Trey missed a three, Capella got the rebound, and then Hunter scored, and then George hit another jump shot. So basically, as I was saying before, it was a lot of PG and Kawhi uh, to, the, to the detriment of the Hawks in that stretch. The only thing that happened there, I was kind of in that six to seven range for a lot of the time. The Hawks did lose Batum in the corner for a three to go down by nine with about a minute to go. And for the third time, that was probably a dagger-like play, but it actually wasn't. The Clippers then gave up a Hawks bucket right away. Then had an awful turnover to L.A. in the backcourt that led to a 103-point attempt that was actually missed, but Trey got the offensive rebound and scored. And honestly, that should have been a foul. Uh, Trey should have got a three-point play out of that and would have cut the lead down to four with 32 seconds to go. Instead, it was five. Would that have changed the game? I kind of don't think so, but it would have been a helpful point to be sure. But after that, after LA botched their first inbounds pass that led to the turnover, after a timeout, they were able to uh, get the ball inbounds, made both free throws, and that was kind of the end of the game. They were, the Hawks were down by seven, got the ball to Collins for a quick two attempt that went begging, and uh, that was the end of that. So basically... You know, the Hawks were never like in control, but if you want to be technical, they did leave this game by 11 points at one point in this one. They were also down by 11 points. Uh, I believe actually they were down by 14, yeah, six, 14 points with about six minutes to go. So the fact that the Hawks were able to get back within four uh, was pretty admirable on the stretch, but they were outplayed. They were outshot at least in this spot. As we talked about earlier in this game, the big difference was three-point shooting, and we'll get into that more about the individual players because nobody had a great shooting night for Atlanta, at least, with, at least from perimeter shooting-wise, but that was kind of the game flow, and it was uh, certainly a herky-jerky effort, but defensively, it just was not good enough in the final three quarters, and that was uh, the number one thing that happened besides three-point shooting in this game. All right, we'll get into more of what transpired with, with regard to the player evaluations, but before we get to that, a word from our sponsors on the show today. Today's show is brought to you by TurboTax. You can go to TurboTax right now and don't do your taxes. Instead, simply meet with an expert who will do them for you. TurboTax experts help you, help you relieve the stress of taxes and file for you. You can do anything but your taxes. You can show your eyes things that are not taxes. Unpa- unpack a moving box of not taxes. Taste not taxes. Sing not taxes a lullaby. Hope not taxes sleeps through the night. Grab a saddle and ride not taxes into the sunset. You get the idea. All, this, all these things are available to you, and they're not taxes. With TurboTax, an expert will do your taxes from start to finish, ensuring that your taxes are done right, guaranteed, so you can relax. Doesn't it feel good to be done with your taxes? Come to TurboTax right now and don't do your taxes. Visit TurboTax.com to learn more. Intuit TurboTax, full-service products only. Video meeting while expert does your taxes required. See guarantee details at TurboTax.com guarantees. All right, we'll close the show with our player evaluations. And 10 guys appeared for Atlanta, but only eight in the second half. Aaron Holiday played three minutes. Actually hit two, th- actually hit two jumpers uh, in this game. No, sorry, a layup and a jumper. Uh, the, the layup was actually kind of out of nowhere. Aaron's a pretty bad finisher, but he made one in transition. It was actually a nice play. But it was uh, a reminder and an opportunity to give me some time to talk about Aaron Holiday, three-point uh, three marksman and 3-and-D guy. Uh, he's the world's smallest 3-and-D wing, and Holiday has a 13% usage this season that is very low if you in case you're wondering so he really only takes 
easy shots or open shots and uh, also plays defense and he's more of a wing on offense and it's kind of a weird profile but I thought he, I thought he played well when he played I was also okay with him going away from him in the second half uh, Jalen Johnson I actually would like to see more of I talked about him at length with Tyler last week so I won't do the whole thing again but I would have liked to see him play a bit more defensively in this spot second half generally speaking I'm okay with him being XI that they, they need to do that in the second half but this is a game where they probably could have used Jalen's defense so I was uh, I, I didn't love that deployment uh, Bogey was okay in this game, he had nine points on eight shots, three assists, one turnover. Defensively, I thought he was probably as good as usual or at least a little bit better than that. Um, he's decently matched up against some of the big wings for the Clippers, but um, still a negative for sure on defense. It wasn't like a huge factor on offense. AJ Griffin, 12 minutes, um, three points on three shots, had a steal, no assists, no rebounds. Uh, defensively, he was kind of rough. He was minus eight when he was out there. That's not really on him. I wouldn't have minded to see AJ play a little bit more if you were trying to hide him defensively, maybe in some zone. But the Hawks, just to defend something here, they certainly were not in a great place defensively to have to use AJ in this game. But the same can be said for Bogey, so it's kind of tough. Um, but I, at, least, at least I get it on some level. Akongu was okay, I thought. Six points, nine rebounds, and a steal. Uh, Capella was probably better, but still, I thought Akongu did a perfectly solid job. They probably didn't use him enough. That's been a theme along with Collins in, in the entire season, but that was definitely the case here. Uh, to the starters, Capella played the least, 28 minutes, uh, had 12 points, 13 rebounds to lead the entire game in that stat despite playing 28 minutes, had two steals and a block, two assists. I thought Clint was good, um, and the Hawks were actually dead even with Clint, Clint and Trey on the floor. Not a huge surprise. Clint and Trey, that pairing usually works, and uh, you know you could argue that those guys were, at times this season, their best two players. DeJounte probably is obviously interesting ahead of Clint in recent days, but I thought that uh, Capella was good in this game, uh, typical fashion for him. Uh, Hunter struggled with a shot in this one. He was two of eight from three and four of 13 from the floor. So two of five on twos, uh, 14.7 rebounds, two steals defensively. They had to have Hunter in this game. He was their only chance really to defend. And even then he got beat by Kawhi because that's just going to happen sometimes. But I think Hunter did a pretty decent job overall offensively. He was probably due for a stinker. Um, the last like month or so he has been shooting the heck out of the ball. So he's probably some regression there, but I thought he played better than the numbers, but it wasn't great either. Collins, 16 points on 13 shots, five rebounds, and a steal for John. They went away from him, as I, as I said before. He was six of 10 on twos, one of three on threes. Played pretty well. He wasn't like dominant, but I wish they would have used him more throughout the game. Uh, DeJounte, I thought, struggled. He wasn't terrible, but 15 points on 17 shots. He was six of 11 on two, which is actually five, one of five from threes, and no free throw attempts. Did have eight assists and only one turnover. That's a, that's a really good ratio for DeJounte, but defensively, he was not able to affect anything um, for Paul for Paul George, mostly. That was his primary assignment throughout this game. Um, not a whole lot of uh, resistance there, necessarily, for, for DeJounte, other than, two, other than two steals. He did have one block as well. He's at least active there, but one-on-one, he's not great, and I think that probably showed up in this game more than, uh, more than most. And then Trey had kind of a weird game. Uh, Trey had 31 points and 10 assists. Obviously, that's really good numbers. He shot the ball okay. He was 10 of 19 on twos, which is decent efficiency. 11 of 14 at the line. So he's been a little, a little bit weirdly cold for him. Obviously, the for him is doing a lot of work there. He's a great free throw shooter, but he missed three in this game. Um, five turnovers is acceptable-ish for Trey. He was the only guy that turned the ball over really more than, yeah, more than once in this game. So that was okay, generally speaking. He had kind of a weirdly bad first half. He was better after that but uh, at probably at the expense of the defense. And only taking two threes is a little bit weird. He's had some games this year where he's not been hugely aggressive from three-point range. But I think he only had one attempt from three until like almost garbage time. So in the last you know handful of games, he had a pretty good shooting game against Oklahoma City, but before that he had been cold. So he's kind of lost it again from three. 
Um, the rest of his efficiency has been better. And I think he has, yeah, he has at least 10 assists in five of the last six games. So he's been playing okay at offense for sure, but not his best work nor his worst in this one, just kind of a solid trade game overall. And uh, yeah, that's kind of it. I mean, not a great shooting night for anyone on the Hawks roster. The only guy who was like solidly above average in efficiency was, I mean, can you even find one? There really wasn't one. Like everybody, guys were okay on efficiency, but even the guys who shot above 50% from the floor didn't have huge impact from three. Like Collins, 16 points on 13 shots is fine. Uh, Capella, 12 points on 10 shots is fine. Uh, you know, across the board, like nobody had a great shooting night, and that probably stands out against a team like the Clippers who had a couple guys. Reggie Jackson had a great shooting night for, for L.A. Uh, Kawhi obviously was fantastic for L.A. So um, that's, that's the difference in the game, and that's why the Hawks lost this one. So from here, you look ahead. You kind of have to look ahead at this point, and the Hawks have a pretty challenging stretch upcoming. This is the five-game road trip for Atlanta. Begins on Monday. That is tied for the longest trip of the season, and it's a pretty tough one overall. They will fly to Portland first to play the Blazers on Monday. Then they will play Phoenix on Wednesday, Utah on Friday, Denver on Saturday, and New Orleans next Tuesday, coming back from the West Coast on the way back, basically, um, to Atlanta. So even after this loss and three of the last four, they're the eighth seed in the East. That isn't the worst place to be. But obviously, expectations were considerably higher than 25 and 25 for this team post-Murray trade. And this road trip is a real challenge, especially with the deadline looming at the end of it. The Hawks' next game is like four hours after the deadline. So at least, sorry, the next home game, I should say. So a lot to monitor um, in a vacuum. I think this five-game road trip, the Hawks will only be favored maybe once or twice. Um, there'll, be some there'll be some close games, I would think, in the projections. Um, I would probably argue that if the Nuggets are at full strength, that might be the hardest game of the entire season on paper for Atlanta because you have to go from Salt Lake City to Denver on a back-to-back -back with altitude, and that is where like teams go to die, basically, on the fourth game of a road trip. So if Jokic is playing all that stuff, that's a very, very difficult game. But the other four are all not too bad. New Orleans is pretty good, obviously, at the end of a road trip, but Portland is a very beatable team. Phoenix recently without Booker is a beatable team. Utah has been struggling after their hot start. So there's some winnable games for sure, but nothing is ever easy on the West Coast in the NBA. Teams hate this trip. Five-game five game trips to the West Coast are horrible. And uh, I think everyone knows, as especially after this loss and three of the last four, that they're going to have to put up or shut up now. And look, I'm not the guy who's going to be waving the flag about how important each and every game is in the stretch. I'm not a reactionary person on – on a single game in January or February, but they need to they need to avoid a like one and four here on this road trip. And uh, by the way, the first home game after the trip after the uh, trip is a as against Phoenix, and that could be a, a more full strength Phoenix by then post deadline, and also Booker maybe coming back. So some challenging days ahead for Atlanta. But I will say, if you want to be positive in the, the podcast, the Hawks are still the eight seed as we speak. And I had someone I think just out of frustration today in my mentions saying that they weren't sure the Hawks were even a play in team. And look. You can be frustrated. The Hawks are not playing great basketball this season on the whole. But if you look below them in the standings, not, not a single team scares me below the Hawks. And they have to fall three spots to miss the play-in. Obviously, missing the play-in was not part of the calculus coming into the season. I get all that. But below them on the standings, you have Indiana, who's kind of in a tailspin. You have Washington, who is – they actually have won five in a row, but I don't think I'm worried about the Wizards much at all. The Bulls, the Raptors, the Magic. So, like, I get it. The sky is not falling for me. And I think – Aiming for the six seed is more like you know a realistic thing, but I think we'll uh, get into all of that transpire uh, and all of what will transpire in the future. But uh, this is a big road trip for sure, not only for just standings and vibes, but 
also it could impact whether it should or not. It's a different conversation, but it could impact the standings. Uh, it could impact the traded line and what wrestler is willing to do in the front office and this new team with Landry Fields and Kyle Corver. Uh, we got into all of that stuff with Tyler. I definitely encourage you to listen to that two-part podcast that drops on Thursday and Friday as well. But a lot to discuss in the coming days. So stay tuned. I'll have a podcast after the game on Monday. If anything happens crazy between now and then, I'll probably jump into action. But the plan anyway will be to be back after the very late night, late night games against Portland and uh in phoenix this week so stay tuned i know a lot of you will not be able to stay up and watch the entire game in real time so part of the utility of the podcast i hope is that if you miss the game because you have to go to bed and go to work i get all that i'll be uh having coffee and covering those games for you monday wednesday friday saturday on the west coast trip this coming week so please subscribe to the podcast across podcast platforms wherever you like to listen to podcasts but especially places like apple and spotify as well as stitcher and google play and TuneIn radio and overcast we're also on youtube over on the video side. If you like the podcast, the best thing you can possibly do is subscribe and auto-download multiple times across multiple platforms, whether that's YouTube again on the video side or multiple audio platforms. Thank you for support. I appreciate all of that. Please follow the show on Twitter at Hawks. Follow me on Twitter at BT Roland. I also write about the Hawks at patreon.com slash BT Roland. Thank you for listening, everybody. Enjoy the rest of your weekend, and we'll see you after the game on Monday.